Well, I want to start this morning by thanking on behalf of myself and Lisa and my mom and dad for uh, all your thoughts and prayers and cards and emails and texts and Facebook posts and all kinds of things after the death of my grandfather uh, last week. We so appreciate that. And uh, this past Thursday and Friday was the viewing and then the, the funeral then on, on Friday. And uh, I was supposed to be a part of it. There was uh, his pastor who was going to be speaking and doing the introduction and the scripture readings and then the sermon part. And then I was just going to do a little bit of a eulogy and he was going to uh, finish things up. About a quarter of 10 or so, the funeral director said, the pastor isn't here yet. And about 10 of 10, we're starting to get a little nervous about what's going on. He still isn't there. And so the funeral director calls the pastor's church office and his cell phone, can't get hold of the guy. We have no idea where he's at. About five minutes before things are supposed to start, he's still not there. I'm starting to panic a little bit. And the funeral director is going, what are we going to do? I said, well, I'll wing it is what we'll do. And about two minutes of, he's like, well, why don't we give him like five minutes after? So we'll just delay a little bit. And I was like, okay, we'll delay it a little bit. And five minutes after I walked out, no pastor there. And so I had to basically preach a sermon that I wasn't prepared to preach. Well, thanks, Mom. <laughs> um, the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the words to speak when we don't have the words to, to share. And let me just say this. I had prepared what I knew I had prepared, but the part that wasn't prepared, I was fired up. I was, I was ready to roll, right? Because this was an important moment. And my message basically to the people was, look, all of us are going to end up as the guest of honor at the front of a funeral home at some point. Death is coming for all of us. And we can't waste our lives on things that really don't matter. And we all have to make sure that we're prepared for eternity to know that we have a relationship with Jesus, that that's what life is. Is really all about. And so I was fired up that day. I'm still fired up today. And so uh, you're going to get it today, all right? You ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Uh, ready or not. <laughs> all right, so what I want to talk to you about today is the story about a young man who had all things are possible. Do you think with God all things are possible this morning? Yes? All right, I hope by the end it's not just a yes, it's an amen and shouting and screaming and man, we are fired up, we're going to be ready to go, we're going to do things for God. And that's what I've always believed since I became a follower of Jesus back in 1993, I've always believed that God wanted to use me to do big things. And sure enough, he did. When I was first a brand new Christian, I had two businesses and, and man, God just started to bless those businesses and they grew and incredible things happened. And then God called me into vocational ministry as a pastor and again, I just trusted that God is going to use me to do big things. And sure enough, just a couple years afterwards, I had the opportunity to go on staff with Rick Warren and Purpose Driven Ministries. And some of you have heard the story before. My job was to be the, the trainer of pastors in the United States. Me. I was training the pastors. And over the three and a half years I was with them, I got to travel all over the United States and Canada, trained over 10,000 churches, over 30,000 church leaders and how to be more effective in their local churches. 
God was using me in big ways. And then when I left there, I thought I was going to go on staff at another big mega church somewhere. That, you know, God was going to continue to use me in big ways and something like that. But ironic thing was I ended up in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, of all places. You know, a little old Chambersburg. And a little church of 300 people. And my job was to come in and get a contemporary worship service started. And we started the first weekend with 52 people in that worship experience. Within, three, or within two years, we were at over 300 uh, in there. Within just a little short time after that, we were over 500 in there. The church itself went from 300 to over 1,100 in the time that I was there. That church continues to grow. They just went over 2,000 here recently. They're in the midst of a brand new uh, building expansion. I mean, when I was there, we went through a $7 million building expansion. They're doing another $2 million building expansion right now. I mean, just things continue to grow. And God, again, used me to do incredible things. And God called me to, to here to Harrisburg five years ago. And still, I felt that God is going to use us to do incredible things through this brand new thing called ExponentialChurch.tv. And you know what? The past five years, they've been hard. It hasn't been what I thought it was going to be. But here's the thing. I am still truly convinced that God is going to use us as a church to do great things in this area, that we're going to change this city, that we're going to change eventually the state and the nation and the world through exponential. And it doesn't look like it right now, but it's going to happen. God still has great plans for us. And so what I want to talk to you about today is what's going to happen because we're just a couple weeks away from moving over to a new building. And I want to share with you that once we have that, it's just a tool. I keep sharing that with you. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. But God is going to use that in great and mighty ways. He's going to use you and he's going to use me in great and mighty ways to make an incredible, incredible difference. And so I want to share one of my favorite stories with you from Scripture. And actually, if you've been around with us from the very beginning, you've already heard me preach part of this message. Actually, a lot of this message. If you've ever been to uh, with me, at a, as I've been guest speaking in other churches, this is my go-to message. This is the one that I love to share with people because it just pumps me up. I get fired up about what God does through this young man by the name of Jonathan. And I hope you're inspired through this story that God wants to use you as well. So if you got a Bible, <clears throat> go ahead. And turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Give you a little bit of background here this morning before we uh, actually get started. In fact, let me go ahead and give you the end of the story. Spoiler alert, right? I'm going to give you the end of the story right up front. This story is about a young guy by the name of Jonathan. He is the son of King Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And Israel, God's people, God's nation, was in a war with the Philistines. And to be honest, the Philistines were kicking their butts. I mean, they are being soundly defeated by the Philistines. And Jonathan, at one point, he, he turns to his armor bearer, his bodyguard, basically. And he says to him, hey, how about just the two of us? Let's go out and try to defeat the enemy all by ourselves. I saw a detachment of troops up on the hill over the, all along the way there. Let's just the two of us. Let's go and see what God may do. And here's the end of the story. These two guys go out and they defeat 20 Philistines all by themselves. And that so motivated the nation of Israel that they then as an army went out and defeated all the Philistines. And that turned the battle. Because one man's faith saved an entire nation. And see, I believe the same thing still happens today, that one man's faith, one woman's faith can change an entire nation, that your faith could change the entire world. 
You and I, we are called to be difference makers. That's what Jonathan did. Again, I believe the same thing can still happen today. I mean, imagine what would happen if all of us would get on board with God's plan and God's vision for our lives. What a difference we'd be able to make. Now, I know the temptation is this. Anytime we see God using somebody in a great way or we read stories in Scripture about God using somebody in a great way, we go, well, of course. I mean, look at the faith that they have. And, and they probably never mess up. They never make mistakes. They never miss out on opportunities. I mean, they probably get up in the morning and they play the harp, you know, and sing praise songs to God. They probably pray for 14 hours a day. And so we look at people and we think that that's who they are. But I want to encourage you with this. The same Jonathan that's going to be a hero in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 14 was an abysmal failure in 1 Samuel chapter 13. His dad, Saul, had given him a, a detachment of troops. And under Jonathan's leadership, <laughs> they got so badly defeated by the Philistines that it says that his little detachment, they started hiding in caves, behind rocks, in cisterns. Some of them even went AWOL. So the same Jonathan that's a failure in, in chapter 13 is going to be a hero in chapter 14. And the lesson is this, if God can use a foul up like Jonathan, if God can use a foul up like me to do great and mighty things, God can use a foul up like you too. All of us have messed up. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have been perfect. But yet God can use you to do great and mighty things on his behalf. And that's exactly what he does here with Jonathan. As I've shared with you before, God is not as concerned with where you have been as he is with where you are going. Are you going to be faithful to do whatever it is that he's called you to do? Here's how I put it on your outline there. You are not placed in this world merely to survive it. You were put here to change it. God has given you uniquely gifts, skills, abilities, talents, and he wants you to use it for his glory to make a difference. Again, that's what he did with Jonathan. Let's go ahead and look at the story. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come. Let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jonathan has this crazy idea. Let's just the two of us go take on part of the army all by ourselves. And let's just see if God doesn't show up. Let's see if God doesn't use us to, to make a difference. And here's what I believe that every single great movement of God in all of Christian history has happened because one man or one woman was just crazy enough to believe that God truly is who he says that he is and that God can do all the things that God says he can do. And that's why I loved working with Rick Warren so much. Rick is just like this absolute visionary type of guy. He thinks really, really big. And one of the things that he taught me that then I in turn taught to churches was a principle called exponential faith thinking. You want to know why we're called exponential church? It was because of Rick Warren's influence on my life and teaching me this principle that then I taught to 30,000 church leaders. Exponential faith thinking basically says this. You have got to think so big in your church. You've got to think so big in your life that unless God shows up, it just simply won't happen. See, so you want to think really, really big. You want to have really, really big dreams. Because if you don't, and then it happens, 
God won't get the glory for it. You will. So you got to think so big that people are like, I know them. <laughs> that had nothing to do with them. God had to have done that in them. See, we think big so that God gets all the glory. And we think really, really big so that it drives us to our knees in prayer that we say, God, unless you show up, this isn't going to happen. I can't do it on my own. God, I need your supernatural intervention here. I need your help. I need your Spirit's power working in my life. And so I taught this principle to, to churches throughout the three and a half years I worked for Purpose Driven. And it was amazing. I got email after email after email from churches coming back and going, Gilbert, I was there at your conference that you spoke at. And man, you motivated us that we need to think bigger in our church. And so we went back and we, we took our goals and we just multiplied them. Rick always said this, whatever your goal is, add a zero to the end of it. Just add a zero. And so I would teach this to churches, and they would go back, and some of them would add a zero, or some of them would just think really, 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 really big. I remember one email that I got from a church. It was a bigger church, but they were trying to get life groups started, and they hadn't been able to do it, and they only had, even as this big church, only three life groups. And so they, they set a goal that let's try to get up to 10. But then somebody said, no, 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 no exponential faith thinking add a zero to the end of it let's go for a hundred so they were going from wanting to go from three to a hundred in a 40-day period by the way and so they set this big goal and they went from three groups to 147 groups in just a 30 or a 40-day period another church 400 people in attendance and they said man we, we need to increase our attendance we need to get more and more people coming in and they went from 400 to 1100 in a 40-day period exponential faith thinking. Think so big that unless God shows up, it just simply won't happen. In other words, we need our goals to be God-sized goals, not human-sized goals. Now, as we continue to read this story about Jonathan, remember, the Philistines are kicking the butts of the Israelites. What would you expect, because this is God's nation, what would you expect the leaders of God's nation to be doing when they're being defeated so badly? What would you expect? They're probably doing what? They're staying up late at night. They're, they're drawing up new battle plans. They've got new strategies. They're bringing in consultants from the outside. They're doing whatever it takes, right, to, to get, how do, we, how do we turn the tide? How do we do this? That's what we would do, right? That's not what they're doing. You know what they're doing? Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migrod. And with him were about 600 men, and no one was aware that Jonathan had left. The leaders of God's nation are huddled underneath of a tree while the very existence of their nation is at stake. They're just camped out underneath a tree. And unfortunately, I believe that that's the picture of the church in America. I don't know if you've seen the statistics of what's happening with the church in America, but it's on the decline. Less and less and less people are going to church. Less and less people have faith in Jesus Christ. It just keeps declining and declining and declining. But rather than getting on our battle gear, as churches, we're sitting around having discussions that really don't matter. In fact, here's what I put on your outline. The church has been called to domination, but yet we've become all about conversation. 
I guarantee you that this week in Dauphin County, there will be church boards that are going to get together and they're going to sit around and talk about things that just simply don't matter. They're going to talk about, well, what color do we need to paint the front door? Because we haven't painted it in 30 years and it's chipping a little bit and stuff and we should go out and paint the door. And they're going to have arguments over what color to paint the front door. There's going to be churches that they're going to have all week just conversations about when is Jesus going to return? And that is so ironic because Jesus himself said, no man knows the day or the hour that I'm going to return. But yet churches are going to talk about that all week long. I read about this a couple years ago and it so made me mad about a church that their board sat and had an argument for a half hour over the thickness of the toilet paper in the church. Some of the deacons were arguing for you know, the cheaper stuff, the thinner stuff. Some of the deacons were arguing for the extra quilted action. Half an hour they argued about the thickness of the toilet paper. In the meantime, thousands of people all around the world died and went to a very real place called hell. And listen to me. Listen. In this county, by my estimation, there's over 150,000 people that if they were to die today, they would go to hell. That unlike my grandfather who was laying in that casket this week, that I know he's in heaven today because he has faith in Jesus. There are people, your neighbors, your friends, your, your co-workers, your relatives, they don't have a relationship with him. But yeah, we just sit around and we have conversations that don't really matter. And you know, through the years, people said to me, Gilbert, you, you, you quote all these things about, you know, numbers of people that are in the county that they don't know Jesus. And you talk about filling up this theater. And I'm sure you're probably going to want to fill up the, 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 the uh, new building over there and stuff. Gilbert, you're all about the numbers. I don't think God is about the numbers, to which I always respond with this. I say, really? God isn't about the numbers? Then why is there an entire book of the Bible called Numbers? It's all about counting people. Why is it that throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read about in this many people were at this thing, and this many people got saved on this day, and this number of people did this, and this number of people did this? Of course we're all about the numbers. What else are we going to be about? Spaghetti dinners? I mean, to hell with spaghetti dinners. Let's go out and change a nation. Let's go out and change the world. By the way, George, I didn't mean hell like the cuss word. George going, oh, you just said hell. I didn't mean it like the cuss word. I meant it like the place where people go. When they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Man, I, I'm talking about what happens when division comes in the churches and we sit around and we talk about things that just simply don't matter. We can't be about car washes and spaghetti dinners and bake sales. That's not what the church is called to do. The church is called to go out and make a difference. To change the eternal destiny of people's lives. To go out and make a difference, to, to show people, look, you matter to God and you matter to us as well. That's what we're to be about. That's what we're called to do. And so you guys, if you want to, you can sit under the pomegranate tree, but I'm not. I believe that we're called to change this city. To change this state and ultimately the nation and the world. And I know that sounds cocky and arrogant. They know, Gilbert, you know, you're not going to, but you know what? I believe that God is big enough and I believe that the gospel is powerful enough to change cities. I believe that the gospel is, is, is powerful enough that, that we can change the schools in our area. I believe that the gospel is powerful enough and the shed blood of Jesus is powerful enough that we can change the, the mindsets of business owners in this area that, look, it's not about getting profit. It's about getting honor and glory for God. And you can use your business to help the fund 
the kingdom. I'm just crazy enough to believe that. And I hope you are as well. I refuse to waste my life on things that make no eternal difference. I hope you'll be inspired to do the same thing. Now back to the story. Jonathan says, look, enough is enough. Enough is enough. We, we can't just sit around and, and not do things for God anymore. Let's go out and just you and I, he says this to his bodyguard, let's just you and I go and see if God wouldn't do something great on our behalf. And then verse 4 paints a picture of what it's always like anytime God asks you to do something. There is a narrow passageway between where you are and where God wants you to be. And here's what I'll promise you. The greater the blessing, the, the greater the promise that God has given you, the greater the resistance that it is that you're going to face. The greater the temptations will be that you'll face. The greater the struggle. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 4 says this, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other Sanaa. What's interesting is in the original Hebrew, those two words, uh, Bozaz and Sanaa, one means glistening, the other means thorny. In other words, for Jonathan to get where he wanted to go required a journey through a slippery, thorny passageway. Again, to be honest, these past five years that we've been here together, it's been slippery, it's been thorny, I, I've had my doubts, I've had my fears. It hasn't been easy. See, as confident as I often look up here, the truth is, I'm just like you. Oh, I may have the title pastor, but I'm just like you. I have doubts, I have fears. I'm small. But yet I keep just trusting that my God is big. And that God will use little small people like us to do great and mighty things on his behalf. Even when it is slippery. Even when it is thorny. That's the situation that Jonathan finds himself in. The situation looks absolutely impossible. See something I haven't mentioned to you yet. We read a little bit earlier in 1 Samuel that the Philistines had been defeating the Israelites so badly and for so long that there were only two swords that the Israelites still had. Only two. One of the swords is owned by King Saul. Now, where was Saul at? Where is he sitting? He's sitting under a tree. He has one of the swords. He's sitting under a tree. Jonathan, he has the other sword. Now remember, Jonathan issues this challenge to his bodyguard. Hey, let's you and I, let's go take on the enemy all by ourselves. King Saul has a sword. Jonathan has a sword. Guess who doesn't have a sword? The bodyguard. So if I'm the bodyguard and I'm going to follow you into basically what sounds like a suicide mission, Jonathan, you better have a pretty good motivational speech prepared for me. And sure enough, Jonathan delivers one of the greatest motivational speeches found in all of Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. The Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And that's something I want you to know for your life. Nothing can hinder the Lord from working in your life. Absolutely 
nothing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you are dreaming. God is big enough and his love and his grace and his mercy and his resources are just so much that he has what you need to do everything he has called you to do. He has more than enough. And so Jonathan gives this speech to the bodyguard. And if I'm the bodyguard man, I've been persuaded. Jonathan had said, nothing can hinder the Lord from acting on our behalf. And he's thinking, with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Man, I am pumped up. I'm ready to go. Just one problem. I didn't actually read verse 6 to you the way that it's written in Scripture. In fact, I left out just one little word, but it changes it so dramatically. And the word that is missing is the word perhaps. Perhaps. Let me read it again to you this way, the way it's actually written. Come. Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Again, if you're the bodyguard, you're going, perhaps the Lord's going to act on our behalf? Perhaps? I mean, if you want me to follow you into this suicide mission, you're going to have to do a lot better than perhaps. But yet, isn't that the way it feels so oftentimes in our lives? God has called us to do something big in our marriage or in our business, in our family, in our finances. And we think, yeah, God has called me to do this, and I think he'll do it, perhaps. I mean, maybe God will do it. I, I think he'll probably do it. Well, perhaps. Perhaps. And again, that, that's how it sort of felt these past five years here. We came in with big dreams and big goals, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God called me here, and I know five years later, God has still called me here. God has not released me from here, and I still believe that God is going to use us to do great things. But yet some of you are looking at me going, yeah, Gilbert, I think perhaps he'll do that. It's easy after five years to get frustrated and to think it's never going to happen and to think, well, that's just the crazy pastor up in front and he's trying to motivate, you know, and stuff, but, you know, I don't know. Perhaps it's going to happen. Maybe it won't. Let me uh, encourage you with a couple stories today that hopefully will motivate you. Over a little over 30 years ago now, there was a young guy. He just was fresh out of college. He had just gotten married. His wife is now pregnant. The day he graduates from college, he packs up her, and of course she's pregnant, and all the stuff that they had, which wasn't a lot, into a little U-Haul, and they went from Texas to California. They hadn't actually been there before, but God had called him to move to California to start a brand new church, basically for people that didn't like church. And they started out, 
And it was a struggle getting this new church going, right? And, and they're going. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough that in five years, we've actually been in the movie theater here all five years. We're a portable church, and it's not easy to set up and tear down, but at least we've had the consistency of being in the same place. His church, before they ever had their very first building, met in over 80 locations. Imagine a church plant that basically, you know, every week, in fact, one of their slogans at the beginning is, we're the church that we'd love to have you visit us if you can find us. <laughs> they kept moving and moving and moving. Finally, they had a building and they kept growing and growing and growing and growing. That was 30 years ago. Today, Rick Warren and Saddleback Church that I used to work for has over 25,000 people that attend every single weekend. The organization that I actually work for, Purpose Driven Ministries, that he started has now trained over 200,000 churches worldwide. They went with the dream. And a lot of people looked at them going, eh, perhaps it's a good idea to move to California, maybe not. Perhaps it's a good idea to keep moving locations, maybe not. Perhaps it's a good idea to get a building, maybe not. But here's the principle I want you to learn today. It's our key thought for the day, and it's simply this, that God's promise is always bigger than my perhaps. God's promise is always bigger than my perhaps. Whether it's in our church, whether it's in your personal life, God's promise is always bigger than my perhaps. About the same time that Rick Warren was starting Saddleback, another young guy was actually leading a youth group out in the Chicago area. Here's the funny part of this story. The youth group in this older, more traditional church, and it was a smaller church, about 100 or 200 people or so, kept growing and growing and growing until the youth group actually had more people in it than the actual church did. And you would think that the church leaders would go, wow, this is great. What can we do to continue this and encourage this? You know what the church leaders did? They kicked them out. They kicked them out. And so this young guy, he said, well, guess I'll just like start my own church then. Maybe some of these things I've been doing with kids will apply to adults. And people are like, well, perhaps that'll work. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it was a lot for kids and stuff, but you can give it a try. And so they went and they rented a movie theater and they started a church in a movie theater and they persevered in that movie theater. And then God opened up an opportunity for them to buy a property. And they bought a property. Now, in our case, we're going from a movie theater just up the street. And so, you know, we'll have a neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. You know where they bought this property? It was a cornfield in the middle of nowhere. People are like, well, perhaps people will drive all the way out to where you're going to put this building. But probably not. But yet they bought it anyway. And they built the building. And the church started to grow and grow, and grow, and grow. And all of a sudden, shopping centers and housing development started to pop up all around what used to be cornfields. That church, again, is over 30 years old now as well. It's called Willow Creek Church, Pastor Bill Hybels. They reach over 30,000 people now every single weekend in their church. Their association, the Willow Creek Association, like Purpose Driven, trains hundreds and hundreds of thousands of churches all around the world. God's promise was bigger than anyone's perhaps. A little more recently, 16 years ago, 
There was a guy who was in college down in Anderson, uh, South Carolina. Anderson's not a very big town, but there's the uh, university there. And he decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a Bible study for college students. And he was trying to think, when would college students actually show up to a Bible study? And as he started looking at the sort of the rhythms of their life, he's like, you know what, the best time would be 11 o'clock at night. I'm going to start a Bible study at 11 o'clock at night. People are like, well, perhaps that'll work. Probably not. I mean, <laughs> that seems sort of stupid. He's like, no, we're going to do it. And that little Bible study continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. And eventually people said, well, can we start doing something on Sunday morning? And so they had a little portable church and a theater there at the college. And that continued to grow and grow. And eventually he's like, well, we got to leave the college and, and go somewhere else. And people said to him, look, you're so creative. You're, you're such a good preacher and stuff. You shouldn't stay here in Anderson. Anderson's just a little small town. I mean, you'll never be able to grow a church in Anderson. I mean, perhaps you could get to a couple hundred, but probably not much more than that. Well, within a couple years, they were at a thousand people. People were like, wow, that's amazing. A church of a thousand in Anderson? I mean, this, this is awesome. I mean, Perhaps you could get to 1,200 or maybe even 1,500, but you're not going to get much bigger than that. A couple years later, they were at 5,000. And they kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And today, that church, New Spring Church and Pastor Perry Noble, they too, through all of their campuses that they have throughout South Carolina, reach over 30,000 people every single weekend. And their goal is that within the next 20 years, to have 100,000 people throughout South Carolina that are at one of their video campuses. God's promise was bigger than anyone's perhaps. One last story for you. I've shared part of this. You may already remember as I, I start to talk about it. A dozen or so years ago, there was a young guy, 16 years old, and he gets saved. Two weeks later, he's sitting at his kitchen table and he's reading a, a book, and, and God, through that book, spoke to him and said that one day I'm going to use you to plant a church in a major metropolitan area in the United States. Now, God didn't tell him which city it was going to be, just that this young guy was going to go out and do it one day. And so as a 16-year-old, he starts telling people, hey, I'm going to go start a church one day in a major metropolitan uh, area. People are like, oh, isn't that cute? Perhaps that'll work someday for you. Yeah, a little 16-year-old, he's only been saved two weeks, and he's talking about this church he's going to start. I mean, perhaps, maybe, probably not. Here's the crazy thing. This young kid, he kept going to people, not only telling them about that, but he'd say, hey, hey, when God tells me where to move, would you move with me? Would you get rid of your job and sell your house and move your family to whatever city that it is? And people are looking at him going, well, you know, perhaps, you know, maybe like some single guy will move along or something, but people aren't just going to pull up their families and move along. But yet, just a couple years ago, at the age of 26, Pastor Stephen Furtick started Elevation Church. 17 families moved along with them. And they got the church started, and now they reach over 5,000 people every single weekend. And they're special to us because many of the songs that we sing here on Sunday mornings were written at that church. God's promise was bigger than anyone's, perhaps. Again, I don't know all that God has planned for us, but I know that God called me here to Harrisburg five years ago for a reason. 
And that these past five years, they have been tough. But through it all, I keep saying God's promise is bigger than anyone's perhaps. And that God's not done with us. And He has something planned for us. And I'm super excited about our opportunity to go over to the new building in a couple weeks because we're going to get to fulfill all the vision that God originally gave me six years ago now. If you remember the story, God spoke to me in a, a vision. It was a 10-second vision that literally takes me a half hour to explain the whole thing. But it all came in 10 seconds. But we haven't been able to fulfill that simply because we haven't had a place to call our own. And so I'm excited that we're going to be able to, to do that. And as I think about over in the building and as I stand up on the stage and I sort of look out and stuff and I've been praying and everything, man, I, I'm already in my mind seeing that room full of people. And what are we going to do? You know, we're going to, you know, a second experience and a, another experience after that. And, and, and how do we like, do we like tear down the house and put on, you know, extra buildings? And I'm already thinking about, we're not even there yet. And I'm already doing building expansion in my mind. Not for our glory, not because, you know, it's just numbers for numbers sake, but numbers because numbers represent people and people matter. And our call is to reach as many people for the gospel as we can. Now, again, we can't get bogged down in that building. We need to continue to go out and be the church to show people that, look, you matter to God and you matter to me. But the really the two aspects of the building that we haven't been able to do to this point is this. God, as part of that vision, said, look, you're going to have a life skills center where people can come in and they can get job training and computer training and do art classes and, you know, you name it. Just a, a place that the community knows that they can come in. And maybe they're not interested in all the Jesus stuff yet, but they know that Exponential is a place that they can come and get help with anything in life that they need help with. You know, we have a, a room over there we're designing called the Cafe, and I really hope that it's a place that business people in the area see as a safe place to, instead of going to Starbucks, man, we're going to go over to Expedition, and we're going to hang out in the living room there, and there's Wi-Fi, and there's coffee, and there's all kinds of stuff. We can sit around, and, and we, can, we can do our work there. We can have meetings there. That people just see that building as a, a place that the community comes in. We got a, a gym over there that we'll be able to do, you know, volleyball and basketball. And I want to see leagues and various things. And again, people say, man, we're just going to go out to Exponential. I'm just going to do life there. And then the other aspect that I'm really excited about is to take some of the things I did with Purpose Driven and be able to bring them here to Harrisburg. That our church can be a, a place that conferences and seminars and, and lectures and classes that pastors can come in and church leaders will be able to come in from all across the United States. And, you know, part of the thing when I worked for Purpose Driven, I got to know the who's who of Christianity. A lot of them are my friends. And to be able to call them up and say, hey, we're going to do a, a conference at Exponential about, you know, whatever. And we're inviting, you know, people from all across the United States to come in. We're going to train them how to be more effective there in their local communities. And see, so you guys will get to be a part of that. To come in and serve pastors, I can tell you this, if you've never gotten to do it, there is nothing more satisfying than coming in and serving at a conference or seminar or stuff when there's pastors from all over and you know that you're there and you're serving them. And then we get the emails and the, the testimonies back that, you know, I went back to my uh, city in New York or I went back to my city in Oklahoma or Texas or wherever and man, here's how God is making a difference because of what your church did. That's an exponential impact. 
that we're, we're expanding our reach, we're expanding our influence. We're going to get the opportunity to do those things. And so I hope you're pumped up about that. I hope you're excited that God isn't done with us yet. God has big plans for us. And so I'll conclude with this. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 7. We read, Do all that you have in mind, as armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. And that's my prayer, is that as I've shared again a little bit of what the vision is, is that you've been inspired and that you would say back to me, you know what, Gilbert? Do what it is that God has called us to do. We're with you, heart and soul. We want to see God do all these things. You know what that's going to mean? It's going to mean you need to invite more people than you've ever invited before. It's going to mean that you're going to need to give more than you've ever gave before. You're going to have to serve more than you've ever served before. You're going to have to pray more than you've ever prayed before. Here's what I believe. God's promise is bigger than all of our perhapses combined. If we'll just trust Him, even when it gets slippery, even when it gets thorny, we'll keep trusting Him. He's going to use me. He's going to use each and every single one of you to make a mighty difference here in Harrisburg and all around the world. I hope that you're with me, heart and soul. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together to once again hear what your vision is for your church. God, this isn't Gilbert's church. This isn't Bill's church. This isn't anybody else's church but your church. And so, Lord, I I pray that we would see that we have the immense pleasure and honor of getting to be a part of something that you are doing. And so, Lord, help us to walk by faith, not by sight. Help us to have the faith of Jonathan to go and try to defeat the enemy all by ourselves. Lord, even more so, help us to have the the faith of the bodyguard that even though Jonathan said, perhaps the Lord's going to work on our behalf, he still went anyway. What amazing faith that is. He believed that with you, God, nothing is impossible. Help us to have that same type of belief. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to prepare to move over to the new building, that you would just continue to expand our faith, expand our thinking, help us to think exponentially about what it is that we could do to bring glory and honor to you. Lord, use fragile, sinful people like us to do great and mighty things on your behalf. I pray these things in Jesus' name.